you all have been sharing with us uh, over the past few weeks. We've been dealing with the Corinthian church. And on this particular Sunday, because it is Easter Sunday, we, we land in this 15th chapter. In this 15th chapter, we're going to talk about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. Everybody said the power of the resurrection. Glory to God. We're going to begin our reading in the first verse of this 15th chapter. You guys know that the Apostle Paul is the writer of this text. And Paul is writing to this Corinthian church that has experienced some problems, some problematic situations. So in the first part of this letter, Paul addressed some of the issues and the concerns that had been brought to his attention. And he addressed those things and he shared with them uh, the way life should be done in the church, in the individual lives of the believers. He, and he came down the line and shared those principles. That, but now in the second half of the book, he begins to answer their questions about some things that they were unsure of. And, uh, and he, he answers those. And one of the things that was, that was permeating in Corinth uh, was the issue of the resurrection. Corinth was, was a Greek city, and, and the Greeks who, were, who prided themselves on knowledge and intellect, uh, they had philosophers who, who sat around all day thinking about life and situations, and, and, and they, they philosophized. If, if, if there is such a word, amen. Uh, but in their, in their philosophy and in their pontification, these Greeks uh, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so, you know, when, 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 actually when Paul had, had, had preached at Athens and declared the fact of God's Christ's resurrection, some of his listeners actually laughed at him over in Acts 17, chapter around verse number 32. And, and, and most of these Greek philosophers who were in Corinth, amen, considered the human body to be a prison and, and they welcomed death as an escape from uh, the, the imprisonment that this, that this body brought, brought on. So, but, but this attitude somehow, this skeptical attitude about the resurrection has somehow invaded the church. And I'm going to tell you something, guys, and this is critically important that we listen, listen very carefully. We as a body of born again believers have to make sure that we don't allow the cultural bent to infiltrate the church to the point to where the church starts speaking what the culture says rather than speaking what God says. Are y'all tracking with me today? And in many of our churches today, uh, many of our denominational uh, 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 courses of faith have, have allowed the culture to bend the word of God and start speaking and preaching what the culture says and what the political climate says. So we, as a body of believers here, will always stand on the word of God. We'll always stand on what God's truths, rightly divided, are teaching us. Can I get a witness? So we get to this 15th chapter. Paul has to deal with this because this mindset of there is no resurrection had invaded the church. Now, I got news for you guys. If there is no resurrection of the dead, we, let's close the doors and let's go home. Because the, the foundational linchpin of, the, of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So look at this 15th chapter in verse number one. We'll start here and we're going to look at three points here. Because again, the resurrection 
amen, has, has modern day implications for you and I. The power of the resurrection is available to empower you and I to live a productive Christian life. So 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse number one, uh, when you popped it up, we're going to uh, flow in this vein here. It says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. Verse two says, it is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3 says, well, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Everybody say, Christ died for our sins. Make it personal. Say, God, Christ died for my sins. Amen. Uh, just as the scripture says. Verse number 4 says, he was buried. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. Everybody said, just as the scripture said. Now look at the next verse. It says this. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Now remember, what is Paul doing here in this context? What is he doing here? He's, he's giving proof to the believers in Corinth who were facing a challenge from the philosophers in the, in the culture in Corinth that says there is no resurrection of the dead. Now watch what Paul's going to do. He says, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Next verse says what? After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Now at the time that Paul was writing this, many of those who saw the resurrected Savior were still alive. So then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. The text says, and that's last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now watch what Paul says here. Remember, Paul did not see the incarnate Christ. In other words, Paul did not see because he was not a man uh, alive at that time when Jesus walked the face of the earth. But how many of you know he did see him in Acts the ninth chapter on the road to Damascus on his way to persecute the church? Amen. Jesus met him right in his tracks. And ended up transforming his life. How many of y'all can, can testify that Jesus met you right where you were? He met you right where you were. He met you right in the middle of your mess. He met you right in the middle of your discord. And he saved your soul. So, so, so Paul on the road, Saul at the time on the road to, to Damascus, amen, met the resurrected Savior. And his name was changed to Paul. He began to live for Jesus. So he says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Verse 9, let's read. It says, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Watch this. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me, what? By his grace. All right, verse number 11 for good measure, and we're going to move a little further. So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. Amen? Glory be to God. Now watch, talk about the power of the resurrection. Now, it's important, again, to note that the believers at Corinth actually believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul started, amen, this, this, this message of this argument from a fundamental truth that they, that they had been taught because he gives them proof of, he says, number one, he says, your salvation depends on having believed that. Are you with me today? Paul had come to Corinth and preached the message of the gospel and that, and that message of the gospel had transformed their lives. Here's what I will tell you. What, basically what Paul is saying is, is, is if, if nobody else should believe this, you ought to believe this because that message of the resurrection transformed your lives. How many of y'all are, are willing to admit that, that you, are, you are different than what you were before salvation? How many of y'all can say that, that listen, I, I think about life a little bit differently now that I've been born again. I think about life a little bit different now that I've accepted Jesus Christ's transforming work on the cross. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we are where we need to be or where we're going to be. It means that when we look back over our lives, we can see that progress has been made. Now, if you are sitting here with me today and you start to look back over your life and you can't see any change uh, in your life before you came to Christ and after you came to Christ, if it's still the same, then I'm going to challenge you to go back and see if you really accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Because Jesus won't leave you like he finds you. Are y'all tracking with me today? The Bible that I read does not teach a salvation that does not result in transformation. True salvation will ultimately end up in transformation in our lives. Amen. Changing the way we do things. So, but he's, what he says is, the first proof is, is that you saved. Your salvation, amen, hinges on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And the second thing he gives them, he gives them proof from the Old Testament scripture because he goes back in verses 3 and 4. And we don't have time to unpack all that, but he gives them proof from the Old Testament scripture. Amen. Uh, and so, and, and thirdly, he says Christ was seen by many witnesses. So you ought to know that all these 500 folks weren't lying. People who saw the resurrected Savior are witnesses to the fact that there is a resurrection of the dead. Now, again, I want you to turn with me right quick because I want to just unpack the power of the resurrection. Because we can talk about heroes. We can sing about it. He didn't stay too long. 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 He got... Okay. That is outside of the realm of my spiritual gifting. Brother Kevin, so I'm going I'm to shut it down right there. But he got up. Now we can sing about that. But my question to you today is how does that affect you in present day America? How does the power of the resurrection, how does the fact that Jesus rose again affect you, Christian, as you live today? Because I can celebrate the fact that he rose again, but if that resurrection power is not having impact in my life, then what good does it do? I want to tell you, Jesus, amen, imparts, amen, his power to us. Let's go to Ephesians Chapter number one, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 19, amen? You should have an outline there. And the key thought I want you to just focus in on, the key thought that we have is that when a believer really knows God, he experiences the power of God himself. Can we read that together? It says, when a believer 
really knows God, he experiences the power of God himself. Now, think about this for a second. When you really know someone at their very core, that knowledge, amen, will cause your relationship to be much richer and much deeper than if you just say, well, yeah, I know him. I graduated with him. How many of y'all have people who you graduated with, but you don't really know them? How many of y'all ever went back to class reunions or went to funerals? And, and when you go back to those times where you see people, you remember them the way they were in high school. Right? And knowing that... 30, sometimes 20, 30, 40, 50 years have transpired since that period of time. And, and, and you don't really know that person because uh, I would dare say that someone's thinking at 18 would be different than it is at 55. I would hope that it is. Someone's way of, 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 of doing life should be different, amen, as we progress. And you don't really know people, come on now, until you spend time with people. Are y'all listening to me today? You don't really know people until you are intricately involved with people. I, I would tell you that, that a lot of us, uh, when, we, when we think about it, uh, would do well to, to begin to understand this concept because uh, God is saying to us, you don't really know me until you become intricately involved with me. Watch this. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number one. And look at with me at verse number 19. We're going to walk down through here. Amen. Whenever a believer really knows God, he experiences the power of God. The text says, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. Now notice what he says. He says, what? I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power, verse 20, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, it says what? Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Verse 22, it says what? God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Why? Why? For the benefit of the church. Verse number 23, let's read. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now he says what? We are made full and complete, right? We're the, we're the church. How many of y'all consider yourself to be a born again believer? Just kind of raise your hand. If, if you uh, profess to know Christ as your personal Savior. So if, if you profess to know Christ as your personal Savior, then you are a part of the church, the universal church. Amen. The body of believers who, who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says here, the church is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, again, when we look at this, when God raised Jesus from the, from the grave, he demonstrated three things for mankind. Okay. He showed man that he had the power to do three things because we talk about the power of the resurrection. If, the, if, if we believe in that, because we have to believe it by faith, right? Remember the book of Romans, 
the 10th chapter. Let's go there right quick before we jump into this thing. Go to Romans, the 10th chapter right quick. Romans chapter 10. This is a, a passage that we oftentimes heard read during revival services. And it, it always stuck with me because Paul is talking, amen, to the church, the saints at Rome. And he begins to share some things with them because many of Paul's uh, fellow um, uh, Jews and those who were a part of God's chosen nation, Israel, who are now in the church, were still trying to depend on keeping holy days and keeping having certain dress codes and dietary restrictions as the way to get to God. And what Paul quickly realized, just like some of you all realize, some of your family members don't really have a proper concept of what it means to be saved. For the average person, they think being saved means being a good person. And going to church. But how many of you know and how many of you recognize you can be a good person, go to church, and, and, and miss heaven and go to hell? Salvation is go extends beyond being a good person and going to church. And all those, those two things we ought to do. But that does not mean that we're truly saved. Can I get a witness? Watch, watch this in Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 1. Let's look at it right quick. Glory be to God. He says, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be what? Saved. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. How many of you know you can be zealous about something, but that zealousness can be misguided or wrong? Can I get a witness? There are a lot of people who are zealous about different teachings, but those teachings are, don't line up with God's word. There are a lot of people who are zealous about stuff in life, but those things that they're zealous about are, are, are not in line with God's will for their life. Hello? How many of y'all, let's, can, we, can we just kind of unpack just for a second? How many of y'all uh, will, will, will readily admit to me today that there are things in your life that you were zealous or passionate about, uh, but it did not line up with God's will? I mean, I just, I'm not... Okay, let me name some stuff. You, you don't have to, don't raise your hand because I want to embarrass you. But, but I want to, I want to tell you some things that we can become passionate and zealous about, but they're not in the will of God. Um, you, you, you could, uh, you could become passionate or zealous about, um, uh, sexual intimacy. Okay, y'all got real quiet on that, right? All right. You can become passionate or zealous about sexual intimacy, right? Lord, help me. People act like they don't know what I'm talking about. I know you know, and, and they know they know. Okay, you can, become, you can become zealous about sexual intimacy, but if that zealousness is misguided by the fact that it's not your spouse, who you are zealous over, or it's... Or, or you are zealous and you are not in a covenant relationship. Fornication is still wrong. Y'all know that, right? Even though God created sexuality for, the, for, for procreation, remember us to have babies, right? And he created sexuality for mankind's pleasure. But Pastor, why are you going to talk about that on Easter Sunday? 
I'm trying to give you an illustration. You could be passionate about sexuality, but it can be misguided. All right. Let me go a little bit further. Cassandra told me to make it plain. So I'm make it plain. Look at this beautiful woman right here. This beautiful woman right here is Doyle Adams' wife. Can I get two witnesses? Somebody said this is correct. This beautiful woman right here is Doyle Adams' wife. And Doyle Adams can be as passionate and as, as on fire as he wants to be regarding Moraria Nikitris Kirk Adams. Hello? But just by way of illustration. Now, sitting, sitting next to her is the beautiful Miss Pashala Davids. Right? Right? Now, if Doyle Adams becomes uh, a passionate and, in, in, a, in a sexual way toward Pashala Davis, then now my passion has become misguided, misdirected, and sinful. Now, the fact that sexuality is God's design and for our pleasure, but if it's directed in the wrong way, I'm outside the will of God. Hello. Are you still tracking with me? Let me, let me, let me, let me give you another illustration, okay? You, you, you can be passionate and, and, and proud about your, your, your upbringing, your, your ethnicity. I, I was listening to James Brown the other day uh, on, on the Soul Town channel. And I like to listen to old school music. Amen? Because old school music has, 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 it's a, little, it's a little different than some of the stuff that we sing today. But James was saying, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Anybody remember that? And, and, what, and what you, what, if, if you are a student of history, what you understand is, is that that was during a, a political climate where, where, where racism was, was running rapidly. You know, we still had the problem today, but what I'm saying is, at that point in time when James was saying that, that there, were, there were laws on the book that were, that were preventing people like us from doing certain things. But James wants us to know that we can say it loud that we're black and we're proud. So in other words, my, my ethnicity is the way God made me. And, and I ought to be proud of who and the way God made me. I, I, I don't want to be anybody but me. Can I get a witness? But, come on now, if I, if I begin to look at my ethnicity and to begin to think that I am superior to somebody who don't look like me, then then now that passion is now misguided. Hello? What, what am I saying? Well, as a born-again believer, if, if, if my passion for my ethnicity overrides, amen, the love of God, then now I'll start, I'll start being a black supremacist as well as you could be a white supremacist. And see, when I, whenever, whenever I, I let my, 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 my passion become misguided, then it, whenever I start to judge a person without knowing a person, I start judging the person just by what I see on the outside, then now I am misguided in my, in my, in my passion for myself. Is that plain enough? 
So the Apostle Paul here was talking about his people. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Now watch this verse number three. It says, well, they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Here's what's happened today. See, many of you may be sitting there right now and you try to get right with God your own way. You try to, to uh, you know, in, in a sly sort of way, you want to live this Christian life your own way. See, here's, here's the problem I think we have in the church. And y'all just bad with me for a second. I think the problem that we have in the church is that uh, we don't understand Jesus' model for salvation and discipleship. Most churches focus in on the decision, but don't go to the discipling. I would imagine that Jesus and, and the apostles would probably be somewhat uh, a little bit uh, confused about even the way we do invitations in our churches. Because in our churches, we, 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 we extend invitation, which we'll do today, and ask for you to make a decision for Christ, whether or not you want to receive him or not. And what happens is we celebrate the decision, which we ought to do. But what happens after the decision? Well, we're going to put you to work. No, they ain't ready to work yet. They need somebody to help disciple them to the point to where they can grow in their faith and understand what they have. Because when you, you can trust and not really know fully what you're trusting in. What, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I can trust God for salvation, but to, to live for him and to be able to advance kingdom principles, I got to know him in an intimate way. And intimacy with God is developed through t- spending time with God, learning about him. When you spend enough time with a person, you'll begin to, to understand who they really are. I mean, when I see you at church, I, mean, I love all of y'all, but guess what? You, they ain't the same to real you. Come on now, this ain't the real you. Some, you know, some of y'all don't, don't even dress like this at home, do you? Right? This ain't the real you. Come on now. The, the, <laughs> I have to I have to ask people who, who who spend time with you what you're really like. Because in church, come on, for the most part, we're on our best behavior, right? Am I right about it? There's some churches you go to, people just get out of hand. But for the most part, you have enough decorum and wisdom to say, you know what? I'll not be cussing up in the sanctuary. <laughs> for the most part, you have enough decorum and wisdom to say, you know what? I'll not just be gossiping right there uh, next to the person who's sitting to me and talking about the person who's on the other side of them. I shouldn't do that. I mean, most of us don't do that, right? But, but so, so, so I don't really know you, but the person who spends time with you knows you. And, and what God wants us to do is to understand that if we're really going to be effective in advancing his kingdom principles, we got to get to know him. Our salvation cannot just be decisionist alone. It has to have a disciplistic, if there's such a word, concept to our walk with God. We got to allow God to to develop us and make us. So he says, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Some people think that, okay, listen, Pastor, I know you've been encouraged to do this, connect, you encouraged to get involved with small group, but you know what, I'm okay right where I am. I'm going to come to church, Pastor, and I'm going to support the work of ministry. But you know what? I got my own way of doing things. And that's the problem that God has with us when we got our own way of doing things. 
Uh, I don't, I don't want to, but Pastor, I hear you, but you know what? I, I don't like being around a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just, I just don't, I don't want to, but first of all, I didn't actually be around a lot of people. I, I actually be around some people because again, you have stuff that we need and they have stuff that you need and we can help each other. But if I don't take the time to understand that God saved me and he left me here to help advance his kingdom principles, then I will, I will just, I will get saved and then pull back and be to myself. Anybody ever been that way before? I said, has anybody ever been that way before? Well, you really don't want to be bothered with people. As a matter of fact, you kind of run from people. But what God is saying is, if, if you're going to know me, when you get to know me, God says, when you get to know me, you, you, you're going to embrace me. And when you embrace me, that means you embrace the things that I love. And guess what God loves? People. Yeah, yeah, people. You all that are married to somebody, you, you, you've embraced things that you initially didn't, 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 didn't want to have anything to do with, didn't you? Am I right about it? How many of you married folks do stuff that you really sometimes don't want to do, but you do it because you're in connection with that person who sleeps next to you? Let's go to, uh, let's go to the art gallery and look at some art. Some brother like... <laughs> the game on... It's the playoffs. She wants to go to the art gallery and you want to watch the game. But you know that if you don't go to the art gallery, come on, can we be honest? I thought you wanted to spend time with me, but if I do, but you know, give me about three hours and I'll be, I'll be ready. Am I the only one? Can I tell on myself? See, guys, here's what I've learned. Most of us don't like transparency. And we keep our stuff to ourselves. But the way you get delivered, and I'm not saying you go and tell all your business because, you know, you can't do that with everybody. But what I'm advocating is, is having somebody in your life, amen, who you can talk to and be open and transparent to because that helps you to get to where you need to be. Because some stuff got to be talked out. Some stuff got to be prayed through with somebody who's thinking clearer than you. Amen? Because there are times in our lives, guys, when we don't, our fault life is not where it needs to be. There are times when we're not thinking clearly and we need somebody who can connect with us and help us get his traits. Now, watch what Paul says. Paul says, my own people, they have a zeal for God, but the KJV says it's not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness have went about trying to establish their own righteousness and therefore they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness that God has subscribed to. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Verse 5, let's read. It says, well, for Moses writes that the law's, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all his commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? Verse 7. And don't say who will go down to the place of dead to bring Christ back to life again. Watch this. Look at it. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Watch this. Verse 9. It says, well, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says what? 
For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So, 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 so watch this. God has, look at, look at number one. Say, look at number one, y'all. Number one, we said, what? God, the, the resurrection power. Watch this. Uh, it's, it, he demonstrated three things. The resurrection demonstrated three things uh, for man. Number one, God has the power to conquer all the trials and temptations of life. Go to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse number 13. God has the power. Let's, let's say, say God has the power to conquer all the trials and temptations of life. You need to know that and understand that. Because how many of y'all will admit that you have trials and temptations in your life? Uh, come on, come on. Can I, get two, can I get at least five people to be honest? All of us have trials and temptations. First, Tim, first Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Look with me at verse number 13 right quick. Glory to God. All of us have trials and temptations. Are you there? Let's back up to verse number 12. Watch this. Watch this. The power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. The first thing it does is we need to recognize is it it gives us the power uh, to conquer all the trials and temptations of life. Because guess what? The power that was invested in Jesus was transformed to us. Are y'all listening to me today? He, he, He delegated that power and authority to us. That resurrection power, he says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. So now Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, but he translates and he presents that power and it's available to us when we get to know him. See, some of us have made decisions, but some of us don't really know him. When you know him and to know the power that abides in him and by virtue of abiding in him, it abides in us, then we know that we can face trials and temptations in life and not have to fall every time they come. Look at the text. Paul's writing here. What, what does he say? If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'll never do that. Oh, I, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm too big of a man to do that. Let me tell you something. None, none of us in here are, is, are so strong that we can stand by ourselves. None of us in here are so equipped by ourselves that we can face these trials and temptations that come our way. We need some power. Can I get a witness? How many of y'all need some power to love some people who are unlovable? How many of y'all got some folks in your life who, who are you in a face with that it takes the power of God to, just to deal with them? How many of y'all work with some people where it takes the power of God to deal with them? How many of y'all face some customers at your place of business where it takes the power of God to deal with that rude, indignant customer without going off on them? Hello? Watch this. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not what? Be careful not to fall. Be careful not to fall. Look at the next verse. Watch this. Watch this. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Watch this. You aren't facing anything that nobody else has faced. It's just packaged a little bit differently. He says, and God is faithful. Here's the faithfulness of God. He will what? He will not allow 
the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, guess what he'll do? He'll show you a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. He'll show you a way out. Now, again, this passage comes on the heel of Paul having talked about the children of Israel, amen, under the old covenant and how they murmured, complained, and how they were destroyed in the wilderness. And, and he says, these things are written so that you and I could be on guard and they're written for our admonition and for our exhortation. Don't do the same thing that they did. But he says here, when temptations come, guess what? We can know and we can be assured that God will give us a way to escape. Now, I got I to I ask you a question, okay? Because I like participatory sermons, right? I'm not going to holler at you. I'm not going to run down the aisle and squall, but I like for you to talk. Because when you hear and have to answer a question, it operates and it, it, it ignites a sensory mechanism that will help you to remember what we were talking about today. Let me ask you a question. Can you think of one temptation right now that you are facing that's very difficult? And, 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 and you've, you've said to yourself before, you know what? Um, I ain't going to do it no more. Let me be grammatically correct. I am not going to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm from the country. I ain't going to do it no more. <laughs> but then you find yourself falling right back into the same trap. Hello? You find yourself yielding to the very same temptation that you promised God when he got you out of it the last time that you weren't going to go back to it. And and you know what happens? Know why that continues to take place? It's because I don't think we've recognized the power that's been endued upon us through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living on the inside of us. The text says here, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. How many of you know he's faithful? He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So that means that if I am telling myself that I can't help myself, then what am I doing? I'm lying to myself. You ever lied to yourself before? Anybody? Anybody ever lied to yourself? It looked like I'm losing weight. Just lying to yourself. What did you do to try to lose weight? I ain't did nothing, Pastor. It just looked like I'm losing it. Just lying to yourself. I know I can say, no. You really can't. But you think you can. It's evident. You're going down the street and just in your car. Hey, hey, listen. That, that, that scripture was true when it says make a joyful. Yeah. That's okay. God, God receives it. We may not receive it, but God does. You can make a joyful noise. We encourage you to sing along with the choir. Just don't come take the mic. Don't grab the mic. Amen. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Guys, let me tell you something. When we tell ourselves that we can't help ourselves, we're actually contradicting what God's word said. Because God says right here that He's given us the power. He says he, he's faithful. He's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can do what? 
endure it. You can endure it. You can do it. You can do it. Resurrection power gives us the ability, guys, to, to be able to face the trials and the temptations that come our way. Go to 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 with me right quick. Hurry, hurry. God has the power to conquer all the trials and temptations in life. And we need to know that, guys. I need to have the confidence to know that with God on my side and the power that he's given me, I can make this. I can do this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Remember, Paul was asking for God to remove this thorn, this, 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 this thing from him. Some, some theologians will say that it was a physical ailment. Uh, I personally believe that it was people. It was, it was those who were coming against him, a thorn in the flesh. That, that terminology was utilized even in another passage of scripture where it talks about people. Because how many of y'all have ever, ever said this? Man, that dude's a thorn in my flesh. And what did, what did you mean? You meant that that person is, that person is, 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 is just, it just irritates you. That person just kind of just gnaws at you, a thorn in your flesh. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best, what? In weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can do what? Work through me. See, if, if, if you and I would ever stop trying to handle stuff on our own and turn it over to Jesus to cast all our cares on him for he cared for us, then that power can begin to work in our life. But as long as we try to handle it ourselves, guess what God going to do? He's going to step back and let you handle it. Because some of us are so full of pride, think we're so smart, and we're so intellectual that we got this thing under control. Now, here's what God will do. He'll let you go on long enough with that kind of thinking. And then what he'll do is, is if you belong to him, he'll allow something to come into your life that your intellect, your smart, your cultural upbringing can't even handle. And you got to come to him. What I would advise is, listen, let's not ever get to that point. Let's, let's, not, let's not ever get to that point where God has to allow something in our life to get us to focus our attention back on him. He says here, Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can do what? Work through me. Resurrection power is working through us. Look at point number two, the power of the resurrection. God has the power to give man a new life and the power to live a new life. We got the power. We got new life through Christ Jesus, but we have the power to live it. He empowers us. Amen. Go with me, if you will. To, uh, let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, right quick, as we move through here. Everybody say the power of the resurrection. Guys, it's available for us today. God has the power to give man a new life and the power to live a new life before him. God will empower us to live in newness of life before him. Guys, we don't have to. We don't have to succumb to everything that comes up in our mind and in our flesh. We have the power to love people who are unlovable. We have power to overcome tragedy and trials in our life because God invested that in his son when he died on the cross for our sins. Look with me in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse number 17. Hurry, hurry. With the Lord's authority, watch this. With the Lord's authority, I say this. This is Paul talking to the saints at Ephesus. He says, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Now, now watch this now. As you read this, 
when he says the Gentiles, basically what he's talking about, those who are not born again. Okay, watch this. Verse number 18, let's, let's read. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Look at this. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Now watch this. Hey, park right here. I have sense enough to know that in the church, we have individuals who are struggling with stuff. Let me say this uh, uh, out loud and on purpose. The church is not a place for perfect people. Can I walk down and say that? The church is not a place for everybody who's got it all together. Because guess what? None of us have it all together. But at the very same time, the church should not be a place for you to get comfortable in your sin. In other words, you just, I mean, you sin and it ain't no big deal. You just come to church and sin, come to church and sin, and there's no conviction. If there's no conviction when you sin, guess what, guys? You better check your salvation. Either you become so reprobate that you can't, you devoid of judgment, or you've never had a born-again experience. But the church is not for those who are perfect, because none of us are, right? So, so let's make that plain and clear. When you mess up, don't run away from the church. Run to the church. And when you come back to the church, no, no, listen, we're going to love on you. We're going we're gonna to encourage you. And, and, I, and every EBC member here, when somebody comes back who hasn't been here, don't, don't go up and say, where you been? That is ignorant. Don't do that. You go and love on and say, listen, brother, it's good to see you. Listen, sister, it's good to see you. In other words, sometimes people feel a little intimidated about coming when they've been missing because you're going to make them feel intimidated. Tell them it's good to see you. Now, we know when we have a relationship with somebody, I'm not talking about somebody joking with you. All right? Because we, we, if, you, if you can't take a joke, you probably, you don't, you're not going to last around here. I mean, because here's, here's why I, I think laughter is good. The Bible says laughter do it good like a what? Like a medicine. It's like a medicine. Some of, some of you all don't laugh enough. That's why you, you, you all sick. Because you, you just stuck on yourself. Learn how to laugh. If you come around our house, we do a lot of laughing. You think I walk around? The earth is the Lord and the fullest thereof. I'm Doyle Adams. I'm the pastor. And I can't smile. Because you got to know I'm deep. Laughter do it good like a medicine. So let's love on each other. But the church is not church is for for, for those who need healing. So we, we encourage you. Uh, we want to we want to walk with you. We want to help disciple you, and so that you can live that life that you have been empowered to live. He says, but that that is what you learned about Christ. Look at verse number twenty one. Let's read. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, watch this. Throw off your old sinful nature. And your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Watch this. Come on. Instead, do what? Let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. The Holy Spirit is, is, is yearning for each one of us to step down from the throne and allow him to live on the throne of our life. 
The Bible says, be not drunk with wine where is its excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. Look at this verse. Next verse is what? Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly, truly righteous and holy. Next verse is what? So stop telling lies. Is that what it says? Now, it always amazes me. Why would the Apostle Paul have to tell the church to stop telling lies? Because folk were lying. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Watch this. Come on. 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Watch this. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a what? Foothold to the devil. It gives the devil the opportunity to come in and manipulate your life. 28. Watch this. Watch this. If you are a thief, quit stealing. what he said. Anybody robbing God? Stop it. You're a thief. Okay. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Watch this. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let it watch. Don't use foul or abusive language. He's talking to the church guys. See, when the resurrection power, amen, is operating in you, it'll control how you speak. If your speaking is foul and abusive, you're not allowing resurrection power to have its proper place in your life. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Watch this. Look at this. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day, what? On the day of redemption. Watch this, last, last two verses, watch this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And watch this, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So the second point we said, God has the power to give man a new life and the power to live a new life. You've been, you and I have been empowered to live for God. Don't ever think that you, that you can't overcome certain things in your life because resurrection power abides on the inside of you. Third and final point. God has the power to raise men from the dead. And the believer will experience that the great resurrection power of God and be resurrected from the dead. First Thessalonians uh, left off chapter number four, verse number 13. Go here right quick. I want to share this with you guys because this gives you hope and encouragement. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. Watch this. If you've had loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord, resurrection power is going to ensure a family reunion. Gwen, you're going to see God again. Yeah. Robert? Afraid you're going to see Julian again. Others who've had loved ones to go on, you're going to see them again because they died in the Lord. This promise gives us hope. Watch this. Paul writes to the Thessalonica church, says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
Watch this. Watch, watch what Paul says. Paul is encouraging them that resurrection power is going, it guarantees that you're going to see that person again. Watch this. Look, look at the next verse. Read, read. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Everybody say that's an awesome promise. It gives me great hope and encouragement every time I do a funeral of a born again believer. Because I listen, guys, I believe this with every fiber of my being because it's a part of God's word to us. It's a part of his encouragement to us that because Christ rose from the dead. Paul said in another passage that he is the first fruit of the resurrection. That means he was the first. Amen. Amen. He's, he's the pattern by which all of us will follow. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Next verse is what? Uh, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Watch this. Come on, y'all. For the Lord himself will do what? Will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will do what? Rise from their graves. Next verse, come on, let's read. It says, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord where? Amen. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, watch and we close this out. So we encourage each other with these words. So resurrection power. It lets us know that God has the power to conquer all the trials and temptations of life. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to conjure up strength. But yield your will to the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. God has the power to give man a new life and the power to live a new life in front of him, before him. Okay. And lastly, God has the power to raise men from the dead. All of us as born again believers. Amen. If we we go before the rapture, we're going to experience the great resurrection power. And if you don't go before the rapture, you're going to be resurrected, amen, as far as uh, being raptured up out of here. God loves every last one of you here. Jesus Christ gave his life so that you, yes, you, can experience resurrection power. He loves you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. God loves you with every fiber of his being. The question is, are you willing to give your heart to him and allow him to have a preeminent place in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now.